At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Greg Peterson here, and welcome to the 297th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where three days a week we work together educating and inspiring you to become part of your food revolution. Raising farm animals in your backyard is not just rewarding, it's actually easier than you think, especially when you have Kari Spencer to help you get prepared. Just text CHICKENS to 33444 or visit BackyardAnimals.com and you will receive our free webinar on how to raise chickens, goats, and more, promote biodiversity, and put your backyard animals to work. Today on our podcast, we have someone who is helping her community reconnect to its agricultural roots and culture. We're talking with Casey Holland about young farmers making a difference. Casey is a native New Mexican and a young farmer committed to affecting positive social change around small-scale, sustainable agriculture in the Rio Grande Valley. She graduated in 2012 from the University of New Mexico with dual degrees in psychology, peace studies, and sociology. As a requirement for her minor, she did an internship with the Southwest Organizing Project's Project Feed the Hood. There, she found her calling when she realized the importance of the way in which our food produced is addressing many of the issues we face locally, nationally, and globally. In 2015, she started organizing with a local chapter of the National Young Farmers Coalition, which provided her numerous opportunities to speak with government officials and learn about policies that impact her community. Since then, she strives to make access to nutritious, enriching food more affordable for underprivileged families and helping her community to reconnect to its agricultural roots. Welcome to the show today, Casey. Are you ready to rock? I sure am. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today? Definitely. I was born in Albuquerque, but raised in a really small agricultural town in southern New Mexico, where I was pretty limited in my exposure to agriculture. Basically, just for sustenance, we would ha we had chickens always, and we'd always have like a goat, or we had ducks, and we kept them for eggs and also companionship of sorts. And occasionally, my mom would take us out to the fields down there in Deming. We're known for our onions and our pumpkins and everything. Uh -huh. So we'd go down there and glean for seconds. Oh. So my exposure was either just personal food, like the chickens and everything, or the stuff that I hated, which actually was going out and working in the fields trying right. to get what we could. So basically, that's kind of where it all began. But my mother actually was raised on a 60-acre alfalfa farm in Berlin, which is another small town here in New Mexico. Mm -hmm. And she always joked once I graduated and started to get into farming that she spent her whole life running away from the farm. And here <laughs> I was running towards it. Yeah. yeah. 
So what was that inspiration for you that said, you know what, I want to discover how to be a farmer and go do it? You know, I never would have guessed in a million years that I would be where I am today, just because going through school and public education and then deciding to go to college, I didn't garden at all. I didn't even have on my windowsill any herbs or anything like that. I was Mm -hmm. so far disconnected. I was like a video game nerd, all that good stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. But basically what it was, was just being an idealistic young person and studying sociology and psychology, you kind of get a glimpse into the power structure and how society is run and working and kind of a lot of the problems that we're facing as an overall larger community. And I always had wanted to do something about it, but I never really knew quite what I could do because these problems are so big that for one person to affect real change is near impossible, it seems. Uh And that's where my internship with Project Feed the Hood really came in handy because it was my last semester of college. I had all these grandiose plans to go off to graduate school and do a service year in Chicago and all these good things. And through my work with the garden, developing garden curriculum for the project, they do community gardens basically all around Albuquerque at schools and in different food desert areas. Right. By working with them, I finally started to see just how important food is in all of these different aspects of people's lives. So not just in food access, which is actually a huge problem here in New Mexico. Most children go to bed hungry every night, but also in being able to bring up these really important conversations about water and the importance of water and how we use water, Uh how we treat the earth and the ways in which our current mode of economic production is not at all taking care of the earth how we need to take care of each other Mm -hmm. and kind of build community connections. So I kind of saw all of this happening in the garden spaces and through working with Project Feed the Hood that it was this big eye-opener that this is what I, as an idealistic young person, had been looking for the whole time and kind of needed to happen into. And just the sheer fun of it, too. I mean, let's be honest, after being on the computer in front of a television screen for so long Uh and then being able to get your hands dirty and working with all these really cool people as they tend to be in the ag scenes all over the U.S. and just starting to really just see how fun it was and then tasting my first tomato. Oh, (laughs) nothing better than that. Yeah, it was almost a religious, spiritual experience. Yeah. And I realized that until I was 21, I had never eaten like a real tomato before Mm -hmm. and always said I didn't like them. And the guys would tell me like, just wait, just wait. Once you (laughs) harvest it, you'll try it and you'll like it. And I was like, no, I'm not really into vegetables. Like I'll grow them, but I won't eat them. And then I took that first bite and there was that burst of flavor and it was just so good. And it was nothing like I ever tasted before. I just realized I'd been lied to like my entire life. Oh, that's a good way of putting it. You're right. (laughs) The food system. Oh, this is brilliant. The food system lies to us about the way food tastes, doesn't it? It really does. There's a complete 180 degree difference from what you can buy in the grocery store that's already however many weeks old to what is picked fresh off the vine Mm -hmm. and eat right away and prepared right away. And I swear to you, you can have a child who, just like I did, look you dead in the face and say, I hate carrots. And then they pull a carrot out of the ground, dirt still all in it, and all of a sudden it's their favorite vegetable. Yep. (laughs) Yep. I have seen that happen so many times. And even for adults, if they grow their own food, they're going to eat it. Have you found Mm -hmm. that? I have 
for the most part, working with my family, I grew up in extreme poverty. So Mm -hmm. we were pretty dependent on like box meals and canned vegetables. So doing that and then starting to get into farming and then changing my own taste buds, it actually was kind of a little bit of a challenge to like bring this eggplant that I knew to be really good to like my mom and have her even know what to do with it. Right. (laughs) So a lot of it I've discovered too is all these different aspects, not just growing and getting the food to people, but then actually teaching people like basic knife cutting skills. If all they've ever done is boxed food, they don't even know how to cut a tomato, how to use a knife, any of the vegetables. And then from there, how to actually put it in the foods they already eat, which is a strategy I kind of got for my family. I was like, you're eating spaghetti. Why don't you add like a pepper and an onion to it, to the sauce? Yeah. And find ways to slip it in slowly there. And it was a little bit of a progress. But once they actually taste it, like I was saying, that taste difference, then that kind of propels and incentivizes continued knowledge gaining around that and including it more in their meals. So it's been really fun to kind of see transform over the years. No kidding. So you're a young farmer. Uh, I actually saw you in some in a documentary. What was that documentary? Oh, it's called The Conservation Generation. Yeah. So I watched that, and I was actually making notes of who I wanted to get on the show, and you were one of the peeps that I wanted to get on my show. So thank you for being here. Of course. That's kind. How did, how did that come about? So that came about because of my involvement with the National Young Farmers Coalition. Uh-huh. So the National Young Farmers Coalition is basically a, they call it a grassroots and grass tops organization. So there are local chapters all over the United States, at least 30 in almost every state, Mm -hmm. where young farmers and beginning farmers, you don't necessarily have to be young to join, kind of get together and then try to address some of the struggles or the challenges that we're facing in our communities Uh through just lessening the alienation that some of us farmers can feel out in the fields by like posting socials, by having workshops for folks where you can learn basic skills, while also trying to educate ourselves on some of the things that are happening like statewide in our legislatures. Mm -hmm. So we have all these individual local chapters, which we can help organize. And then there's an overall national committee committed of a few really awesome, dedicated folks who then kind of assist us and provide some of that more official administrative work that we as farmers would be unable to do. Mm -hmm. So for instance, here in New Mexico, we're working on some legislation that would provide loan forgiveness for young farmers with student loan debt. Oh, nice. And instead of us farmers having to actually draft the legislation, the National Young Farmers Coalition has people who are working on things like white papers Uh where then they can present it to the legislature. And we're here with our voices to rally our communities around that in order to show that there's support. So I was kind of peripherally involved with them for a little while. And then in 2016, I was a bootstrap blogger for them, as they called it. Uh Every year they have a different series where young farmers can blog about their experiences over the course of the season. Mm -hmm. And this year they're focusing on grain production, which is really interesting to read. And last year it was focused around water. As a young farmer who does some of our traditional flooding ditch irrigation here in New Mexico, I submitted an application that kind of explained what we do, why it's important to us, kind of what I have to say about being a farmer and the struggles that we're facing. And I was selected. Nice. 
Yeah. So then in doing the blog, they were putting together this conservation generation film that they wanted to take around to kind of raise awareness to a lot of these issues. And as the blogger for the year, I was kind of slipped in to be a part of the film. Well, I just have to tell you, you're very well spoken and you communicate very clearly. So I can see why they picked you. And congratulations on the work you do. And I love that you're doing it. So keep it up. You know, it's really nice to have that broader perspective because that's part of what got me into agriculture mm -hmm. was having that broader perspective and wanting to make a difference. Right. But then in the day-to-day -day work of farming, actively farming full-time, you get kind of lost in the minor nuances of your fields and what's happening and the pests and the weather, mm -hmm. that it's good then to be involved with something that keeps pushing you to think bigger again. Yeah. <laughs> There's a really, really valuable lesson here, and that is... We have to step outside of our business and work on the future planning of it. I do that as an entrepreneur. I do that myself. And it sounds to me like you're doing it as well. Otherwise, you're right. We do get caught up in the day-to-day -day stuff that happens, and we don't stay focused on where we want to go. Have you found that that's the case? I have. It's real easy to kind of forget about the overall broader importance of the work we are doing and mm -hmm. why we fell in love with it to begin with. Yeah. <laughs> So you're a farmer and you are working on, you said two farms. So you're working with two farms. Tell us about your typical day and the farms you're working with and what are you raising? For the last four years, and this year is included in that, I have been the farm manager of a small two-acre woman-owned and operated farm called Red Tractor Farm. Mm -hmm. And we're in a really beautiful location. I like to call it the heart of Albuquerque because it's right along the river, which is our life giver and sustainer. It's the whole reason why Albuquerque exists as a city within the state of New Mexico, because being in a desert, the river is life. Oh, yes. So we're right along the Bosque. We do, I'd say, I'd say I'd call it a diversified, intensive, primarily vegetable production. So we grow over 100 different varieties of heirloom crops over 30 varieties of tomatoes, all these wow. different kinds of sweet peppers. We do sweet potatoes, up to about 10 different kinds of flowers. We do all the root crops, so beets, carrots, radishes. We do leafy greens like the spinaches and the kales and the chards and the arugulas and all that good stuff. And we do this mostly because at Red Tractor, we are diversified in our market. We have a 40-family CSA. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's really great. We've kind of expanded as I've been there, and as we've increased our own capacity, we've uh -huh. taken it nice and slow. And I think we'll probably stay at 40 and never get any bigger because I really like how that size still allows yeah. me to remember everybody's names and get yep. to see them during the pickup. And I definitely don't want to compromise that in the quest for eternal growth, which, again, our current mode of economic production tends to incentivize. So we're going to stay where we're at. We also do the largest farmer's market in Albuquerque, the downtown farmer's market, which is incredible. We get to see so many people mm, there. Yeah. And we're also a part of a local farmer cooperative called the Agriculture Cooperative Network, which is basically a network of about six small farms located here in the South Valley where we grow separately, but kind of coordinate a little bit with each other. And then we aggregate our produce. And in that way, we are able to provide food to places that have a higher demand. So we are able to sell like salad greens to the Albuquerque public school systems. Oh, nice. We move up to like 
300 pounds of salad greens a week. And it's so great to be in this network because instead of having to compromise our values or make just like a single lettuce farm, uh -huh. I can have my one bed and provide 20 pounds of lettuce. And then the five other farms can provide up to 75, up to 50 here, there, and together. Mm -hmm. We can bring it together and actually meet those orders and feed the kids, which is such a good feeling. Oh yeah. And in order to meet the demand of all these places, and to keep it interesting for our CSA members, we have to try to grow as many different crops as possible. Oh, right, of course. And it's also really fun for me because I, I don't understand how the large monocrop farms kind of do it because I love learning the nuances of like how the okra grows throughout the season mm -hmm. and what the life cycle of a bean plant is. And then looking at all the different kinds of tomatoes, it just keeps it interesting and different every day, yeah. which is really wonderful. And then this year, I just assumed management of another farm called Chispas Farm, which is only a couple miles away. We're kind of in a transition year. The last farmers were here for about 15 years, and they were kind of phasing out and becoming less involved over the last five. Uh-huh. So this year, it's really wonderful because I'm getting to put my like seven years of experience oh, into kind of yes. cleaning up this farm and bringing it back because it, yep. it had gotten a little neglected. Mm -hmm. This year, I've really focused on just cleaning out a lot of the stuff and redoing the fields. And we planted a really beautiful sorghum and oat cover crop this summer, which has done wonderful. And just kind of just taking my time, learning about the land. I'm the only person here who's like responsible for it. So I'm trying to be really serious about my intent and taking all these things I've learned over the years and applying them here. And then slowly we'll see kind of where Chispas goes. It's it's up to me to really decide the vision, but I want it to be similar in Red Tractor and that. I think we'll do a pilot CSA. We'll join the farmer co-op just because the more food I can get to everyday people in mm -hmm. my neighborhoods is great. But yeah. it's actually, the farm is owned by this really wonderful philanthropist named John Sparks. And he has a vision for Chispas Farm to be a model for other farmers and for neighborhood folks as a place where they can come and learn about gardening and farming and see it in action. We're certified organic here at Cheese Bus. So being committed to taking care of the land in all those good ways. Yeah. I'm hoping to get as much food for free out to my actual neighbors as mm -hmm. possible because here, thankfully, it's not it's not as money incentivized. Right. We're able to actually really support people. And it's a nice balance to Red Tractor because Red Tractor is where I learned that as a young farmer with only two acres, you actually can make a living. Oh, very good. Yeah. So it's really nice to have both. And I can't wait to see where both go as yeah. the years progress. Yeah. Nice. So say more about that. As a young farmer, you really can make a living doing this. That's an important piece. Tell me about that. If you had asked me five years ago, when I was still kind of apprenticing at places. Again, as my experience as a young farmer who had little to no connection to agriculture, mm -hmm. particularly going to school and everything, getting into farming was hard. And you, of course, have to be an apprentice or a trainee for many years, getting gaining your confidence set and gaining your skills. Mm -hmm. Eventually, if you're gonna stay in it, we all have dreams of getting our own farm and trying to make it work. And it was really wonderful because at Red Tractor, I came into a spot where their help was leaving and there was a little bit of a vacuum there for a young person to step in and fill. Right. In doing that, that's when I told myself, I said, this year we have this much land and if I really want to do this long term, I have to make sure that through our vegetable sales, I can not only pay myself and somebody to help me, but that we can cover all of our expenses and be able to put some aside for the next year. 
which as a small farm is really difficult to do, but I have discovered that it is possible if you're really mm -hmm. clever in how you're marketing Yep. and you have many different revenue streams. So that's why we have the CSA. That's where we're part of the farmer co-op. We do some individual restaurant sales. We go to the farmer's market mm -hmm. and also that through doing it, as long as you are still treating yourself right. And I've, I've been learning over time to like take a little more time off for myself. And if it oh, doesn't good. get done, it doesn't get done to make yep. sure that I actually can continue doing it for the decades to come. Yeah. But definitely if you are really putting yourself into it and if your community is receptive to it, then I have seen that you actually can. You won't make very much money, <laughs> yeah, but I don't think anybody goes into farming to get rich. Yeah, so. exactly. <laughs> we go into we go into farming to change people's palates and change the world, I think. Yes. Yeah, and if we can pay our bills, that's important because that's how we stay in it. Big time. But it's not to live that lavish lifestyle because yeah. our life is so rich just being surrounded by the farm and everything on it and all the people who get involved. And so you're rich in different ways, I would say. Yeah. So in our pre-conversation, you kind of alluded to this notion of trying to find land to farm on. Can you speak to the, some of the challenges you've had in that arena? Definitely. So... Land access is a huge problem for young and beginning farmers who are trying to get started. And especially as many of us have little to no resources and a lot of debt going into it, particularly mm -hmm. if we de did decide to get the education that is assisting us mm -hmm. in our pursuit of this career. And land prices are extraordinarily high. Oh, yes. Particularly here in Albuquerque, we face a lot of competition with developers who just want to put like a cul-de-sac on it or a little home development and call it done. Mm -hmm. When in actuality, a lot of this land has been being farmed for hundreds of years. Actually, here in Albuquerque, we have some of the longest continually farmed land in North America. Wow, really? It goes all the way back to the Pueblo peoples thousands of years ago who were farming along this very fertile riverbed along the Rio Grande. Right. So to be a young person who really wants to farm and needs land, but I have these student loans that whenever I go into a bank to ask for a mortgage, they basically laugh me out of my room and they look at the loans that I have compared to the income that I'm making as a farmer. Mm hmm so that's something that I'm really glad to be working with the National Young Farmers Coalition on. They have quite a few initiatives that they're working both to put through in the farm bill this year, but also on the state level. Uh -huh. It's kind of a nice dual approach in order to make it so that perhaps older farmers who are aging out of farming and don't necessarily want to sell their land to these developers, that way they can maybe get land trust easements mm -hmm. or tax credits if they commit to then not only preserving the water and mineral rights and everything of the farm, but if they commit to selling it at a more affordable price to a young person who is going to agree that they are only going to use the farm for agricultural purposes. Yeah. So we are trying to find ways in order to make that easier. But mm -hmm. in the meantime, <laughs> I still have to find a way to continue farming while not owning my own land. Right. and trying to save up to maybe on my land. It's a really interesting kind of juggling game that we all have yeah. to play if we want to keep farming. So that's one of the big issues. It sounds to me like that you're dealing with the Young Farmers Association with. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there are many initiatives. Yeah, what's another one? So another initiative, which is really wonderful, is the Young Farmer Success Act, which is basically trying to get farming considered a public service, such like teaching, or being working in a nonprofit where you get student loan forgiveness. 
uh, or working yes. in those fields for 10 years. Yep. So then if you are a farmer, if more than two thirds of your income, I believe the initiative says comes from a farm that makes over $35,000 a year for 10 years, then your student loans would be forgiven just like someone who decides to work in a low income area as a doctor. Mm, right. So our career would be just as valued as these other really important mm -hmm. fields. But generally farming is kind of looked down upon and instead we're trying to elevate ourselves and say, no, we are also health providers in our communities. Yes. We are also developing the economy in our communities and creating a real resiliency where we are. There might even be a case made here that farmers, young farmers, are more important than the doctors because if we're putting food, good food in, we're not going to get as sick, wouldn't you say? Oh, yeah. And there are tons of studies that show that the more money you spend on food, the less money you spend on medicine and vice versa. <laughs> I wouldn't dare to assume that I'm more important than a doctor, but I definitely want to be considered on the same level, darn it. Yeah. <laughs> We're really looking for community, building community here in cooperation. So maybe maybe I misspoke. And let's not say more important or less important, but we're all equal, right? Totally. And one of the really exciting things, and again, this is what I really like about particularly where I am, and I hope that other folks around the nation can develop similar models. But the farmer cooperative that we're a part of is working, basically they have a 350 family CSA and over half the shares are subsidized by community partners that we find. So that way, like a family can get a $30 box of food for only $5. Yes. And a large part of the way that we are able to do that as a cooperative is by working with the local hospitals. Oh, nice. They are providing us grants like Presbyterian. We got a large community health grant because they too are starting to acknowledge the importance of what their patients eat and contributing to a healthier lifestyle overall. Yeah. So I think that awareness is being raised and it's nice to get the institutional support as a small farmer to provide that nutrition for folks. There's another really cool thing that's happening that I just want to have a shout out for. But at the farmer's market, we basically get prescriptions from people, like a $5 fresh vegetable prescription from some of the local hospitals here. Really? Yeah, that doctors will write them a prescription for healthy vegetables so then they get a voucher that they then come to us at the farmer's market and they can spend their prescription on vegetables straight from the farmer's market. So there's a lot of ways that we are, wow. we are kind of catching up. Yeah. That is epic. That mm -hmm. is epic. That is cool. And a lot of people are using it. Yeah. I'd say, um, particularly with the WIC checks and everything, at least a third of our sales come from different initiatives like that. So I'm going to shift on you and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure and what you might have learned from it. As a person, again, who had little to no agricultural background, mm -hmm. every year I learn about how little I actually know. There's always a risk you take when you're starting a new field and you're trying to grow food on a field that you don't have the familiarity with. Right. And this year, I would say we started, we decided to expand a little bit and to plant all of our onions and leeks on a new field, again, that we didn't really know. Uh-oh, hold on, hold on. You planted all of them in one place? All of our onions and leeks, yeah. So you put all your <laughs> eggs in one basket. We sure did. <laughs> and Oops, how'd that turn that out? That is where I learned the importance of that saying because we easily lost two-thirds of them. Partially, 
due to the fact that we hadn't fully thought through the irrigation system. So uh -huh. for that area, we actually had to bring a generator every single time I wanted to water. Oh my gosh. The plot over, yeah. So hand bring a generator, hand bring a pump. I've definitely learned a lot about capacity and being realistic about that <laughs> in doing this plot. But also the land hadn't, We while we did amend it with compost and all the nutrients that we were supposed to, it just hadn't had been worked in so long that the soil itself wasn't really receptive or ready to give all the energy it needed right. to the onions and leeks. Especially for a root crop. Exactly. Yeah, that are really heavy feeders. They call them heavy feeders. Plus, they have to, to work on breaking up the soil in order just to place their roots down. Exactly. So here I was all like, we can do it. We're expanding. Only to see that, whoa, I needed to take a step back, maybe work with the land a little bit more. So we lost a significant portion of that crop, but I sure as heck learned a whole lot in the process. You know, it happens. Even this year, I we planted our tomatoes late, and I planted them in a really, really warm bed. I don't know mm -hmm. what I was thinking. I've been gardening here at the Urban Farm, or really farming here at the Urban Farm for 28 years, and I don't know what I was thinking, but I put those tomatoes in a hot bed, and yep. they just cooked. Mm -hmm. Last year, we had pounds and pounds and pounds of tomatoes and this year we barely had any it's hard but <laughs> we farmers have to be next year people <laughs> those are the lessons that we get to learn so what do you consider your biggest success you know 100 percent, i would say my biggest success is that i'm still farming <laughs> yo to I, that yeah i mean there were there are so many times where you're getting exhausted you face these failures where you're like, what am I even doing? I could be making more money. I could be doing all these other things if I were just to go and pursue another field. Mm -hmm. But then to just, again, remind myself of the larger picture, uh -huh. to want to continue to inspire others and show that it is possible, you really got to stick with it. And so I kind of, I just had to decide that even though I get itchy feet sometimes as a young person, I want to move around and see other cities and everything. Uh-huh just to kind of commit to myself to a place and a time and understand that farming is something that takes decades to learn. You're not going to get it in just a year or yeah. two years or five years or 10 years. And to really be okay with that in my soul and say, this is what I'm going to do. And to still be here seven years later doing it. Right. Is definitely the biggest success. Yeah. Another life lesson you just spoke about. It's really about the journey. It's mm -hmm. not about the destination. Who knows where I'll be in another 10 years, but if I still got my hands in the ground, I'm going somewhere. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So what drives you? Every time I look at the news or I hear about some, you know, like we get into another severe drought or I hear about another big fire or last year I heard that some, some of the big lettuce farms got completely wiped out by flooding. So then mm -hmm. there was a, a lack of food for some people and people were wondering about it. Anytime I hear about what's going on in the world, that is what really pushes me forward. Mm. That the work that I am doing is so crucial to the global situation that we are facing. Yeah. And anytime, like my mom has really bad diabetes. Anytime that I kind of grapple with what that means and how she got there or with like where my own health is going or if I learned that a friend got cancer. Anytime I, I see or hear things like that instead of feeling disheartened, uh -huh. I remind myself that that is why I am here is to do what I can to alter those paths mm -hmm. and to create another way of being and living for people, one that really fills your heart and 
one that fills your belly and one that ultimately provides this like healthier future for everyone and everything, holistic health in every regard. Like I said, anytime I'm facing a challenge, I just try to remember that or get disheartened. It really helps. Nice. So if you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be and why? Well, I am going to request two. One is kind of a philosophical nonfiction and the other is like a philosophical fiction. All right, bring it. I'm going to preface this by saying that I think by reading, you can really expand your universe. And I really love philosophy because it kind of reminds you of that larger picture all the time. Uh-huh. So the philosophical nonfiction would be Masanobu Fukuoka's Sowing Seeds in the Desert. Reading that book for me, he kind of dwells a lot on his own work on his family farm mm-hmm. over the course of decades and what it means to live in a changing climate and what it means to be committed to growing food and Also, what it means to grow food, he has this really wonderful quote where he says, growing food is not about the cultivation of crops, it's more about the cultivation of people. Oh, beautiful, yes. Yeah, so it was really wonderful to read this person halfway across the globe in Japan, Mm -hmm. thinking about a lot of the same things I'm thinking about in the broader picture and just how significant it is, not only in the big picture, but on the very, very small side of it too. That's what happened for me in 1991 when I discovered and took my first permaculture design course. Yeah. Bill Mollison down under writing about this thing called permaculture, which I like to call the art and science of working with nature. And it, I was 30 at that point. It brought a whole new perspective for me. And really what it did was it pushed me to a place of, of understanding and knowing this is the way that I've always thought Mm-hmm. and there's something we can call it now. Right. I have a methodology by which I can go out and do this in the world. Yeah, it, it's helpful to have words to put to those feelings that we feel to then express them to others. Exactly. All right, book number two. Book number two, the philosophical fiction, would be Herman Hesse's The Glass Bead Game. Now, this book has little to nothing to do with farming, but what I really appreciated about it was that it gives us really wonderful life perspective. So basically Mm -hmm. it follows this character who goes into a private school. It's in a different universe, but he goes into a private school that's all about the thirst and the lust for knowledge. Mm -hmm. The people who really get into it play this game called the glass bead game where they combine all of these different fields together to create these wonderful kind of notes or I would almost call them... um, like musical pieces, but they're playing mm-hmm. with each other and challenging each other and that. And it follows him as a young boy, then as he's going to school, then as he kind of advances his career, as he becomes an elder. And it, what it really kind of provided for me was this remembrance that having that lust for knowledge is really, really important at the core of who we are while uh-huh. providing that perspective that just because I am where I am now, I am going to continue developing and kind of reach these different, really significant phases in my own life, just like this main character does in the book, Uh that build off of what came before, but also lead you in completely different places. That kind of, again, just, I'm a young farmer now, in 10 years, I won't be as young of a farmer, and 30 years, I'll be kind of an elder and a real wise person in my community. And sometimes Mm -hmm. it's hard as a young person to kind of get that outside perspective and understand our life in a continuum over time. Right. And that book really helped kind of provide that. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. (laughs) Excellent. 
Thank you for that. Mm -hmm. What one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? My final piece of advice as a young farmer to another person who's thinking about getting into agriculture, young or old, is to remember that even when it feels like you don't have any resources, you're actually surrounded by them. And that is in the form of people and mentors that will really contribute to your development and where you mm -hmm. decide to go. That is in the form of actual physical resources. So tool sharing, just asking people for advice. Mm-hmm. And that is in the form of things like land, too. If you can find somebody with a big backyard who maybe has a well or some way to water it, just always remember that where there's a challenge, there's always a solution, and it's generally located around you if you're willing hard enough to look. And in doing that, you'll be surprised at just how far you can get and just how incredible it is to be surrounded by this group of people, by the land, everything that really does nothing but want to encourage you and nourish you in all these really important ways. So I always like to remind people, and I, I preach about this often, and that's there's one place on the planet where lack lives. You want to take a guess at where that is? Where lack lives? Lack, L-A-C-K, yes. <laughs> um... Uh, space. I don't know. <laughs> okay, good. Lack lives between our ears. Oh, okay. Because I watch nature and what you just explained is how much incredible abundance there is in mentors and all of the resources that you said that there's an incredible abundance of. Mm -hmm. And we get stuck as human beings, we get stuck with, oh my gosh, there's not enough. And when I look to nature, when I look at the apple trees and the peach trees and the citrus trees and the carrots and all of the stuff that grows in my space, mm -hmm. there is an amazing amount of abundance. And we just need to remember that. Yeah, I was going to say that's actually spot on. It's so true. Because wherever there's a can't, maybe there's just a do it differently. It's all how you look at it. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Casey. Thank you for having me, Greg. So how can our listeners get a hold of you? They can find me through the Red Tractor Farm website, redtractorfarm.net. There is a contact section where my boss, Dory, will pass on any messages you have for me there. I also have a Facebook just under my name, Casey Holland. Feel free to add me as a friend, send me a message, do whatever. I'd love to hear from you. Perfect. You can also find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash Casey. That's C-A-S-E-Y. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. Raising farm animals in your backyard is not just rewarding, it's actually easier than you think, especially when you have Kari Spencer to help you get prepared. Just text chickens to 33444 or visit backyardanimals.com and you will receive our free webinar on how to raise chickens, goats, and more, promote biodiversity, and put your backyard animals to work. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen three days a week for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams.
One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.